Hello there and welcome to Loons Weekly. My word, we have missed you. Callum Williams alongside the most golden of golfers, Kindred D. St. Albin, the man with the ripest smile, the Prince of Woodbury, Jimmy Watson. And of course, we have a very, very special guest for you here today as well. He is vibrant, he is fearless, he is forceful, he's fabulous. He's also a fellow ginger, Alexi Lawless. <laughs> Along with the mutant gene. We go. Well, well here in, uh, in Minnesota. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, no. it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, uh, not just to talk about the team and, and soccer, but to be here uh, for my first visit to uh, the, new, uh, the new digs. So I can't wait for the game on Sunday. Before we talk about uh, the game on Wednesday, we've got to ask you, uh, I know you've not been to Allianz Field yet, but you've you've seen the plethora of pictures out there and the videos and whatnot. What have you seen of it so far? How excited are you to go? So it's uh, way back in the 1900s before some of you guys were born uh, when MLS was kicking off. I'll never forget being in a bar. I've, I've told, I tell the stories a lot like that. Uh, but this this time I was in a bar. Uh, I was with the, uh, the then New England Revolution, and we had played a game down in Tampa or whatever. And I remember seeing on, the, on there was a side soccer game on in the bar and we were all amazed and it took me a while to realize that it was uh columbus it was the columbus uh, crew stadium uh that, and and that was so amazing to us to actually have an optic up there that resembled the rest of the world now mm -hmm. since then everything has changed and so the other day i was sitting on my couch once again not at the bar uh, but i was sitting on my couch <laughs> and i was watching this uh, this unfold uh, and, and certainly every time this happens, it fills me with, with pride and gets me even more bullish than I am about soccer, not just MLS, but soccer in the United States. But to see the way that people were reacting, to see the different sight lines and the different camera angles, and also to, to know what everybody's been through in order to get to this point of celebration of what, not just what this team is, but what this city is, uh, cities are, what, uh, what this state is, and what the soccer that, look, I've been coming to this place since, since Blaine years and years mm -hmm. ago for uh, U.S. festivals or whatever, or whatever <laughs> we were back in the yeah. yeah, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So this has always been a soccer hotbed uh, and a real understanding um, and love and passion for the game and to have it kind of, uh, all be focused on this one place and this shrine and this cathedral. It warms the cockles of my redheaded heart. <laughs> well said there. Yes, absolutely. We're looking forward to having you there on Sunday. Uh, so let's talk about the game that was on Wednesday, Kendra. We'll start with you. Uh, a sprinkling of topics to cover. We'll start with Minnesota United from an attacking point of view. You and I looked at the post-game stats. 14 shots, mm. one of them on target. This is after scoring six goals in two games. It simply wasn't good enough in front of goal for Minnesota. Well, and I think that's the weird dichotomy you're left with at the end of that game is you felt like tactically that they did a lot of things right, and Adrian Heath had a good game plan going in, and he had the right pieces in the right places. I'm still maybe not convinced that Kevin Molino should have maybe started that game. I don't know if he was 100% ready to be starting. Um, he looked like his legs were a bit heavy after five or ten minutes, and you could tell when he was on the ball. Um, but I think that's what what's frustrating about it is that they were creating the chances and that front four, front six looked pretty good going forward, but they couldn't execute. They couldn't finish their opportunities and they couldn't bury them and they had plenty. And I said this at halftime, I was worried that at half it was going to come back and bite them in the butt that they didn't put away any of those chances in the first half because you didn't know if they were going to come in the second half. And you've got Zlatan on the opposite side who only needs one little tiny magic moment. We said this, like he'll, you know, kick some ball over the top of his head from midfield and somehow magically it will go in and he maybe haven't touched the ball the whole second half. So fortunately that didn't happen and they got the clean sheet. They got the shutout. But offensively just left a lot to be desired in execution in that final third um, throughout the whole match. And it wasn't for lack of creativity and, and chances created, especially on the corner kick chances. But yes, Minnesota has got to find a way to bury, which was unusual considering we scored six goals in the last two games prior. And Jamie, as well, from one end of the field to the other, the Minnesotan back line fortified the, the fortress about as aggressively as they ever have done. Well, they have, and there was a few changes to the back line as well. You looked at Brent Coleman getting a big opportunity, the boy from Woodbury. He gets an opportunity to start alongside Ikopar, who returns from injury. So you get that new pairing. It was a tactical decision to put in Brent Coleman over Michael Voxel. And Brent Coleman took that opportunity with both hands and he grabbed it and he held on to it. And I thought him and Ike did a wonderful job pairing. But then you also looked at Eric Miller just off of Brent Coleman's left shoulder, filling in for the suspended Francisco Calvo. And look, it was a rough first 10, 15 minutes. And Tuna had Eric Miller on skates a couple of times. And his speed and his quickness 
really showed why the Man City player who's on loan with the Galaxy this season um, is such a sought-after player at 18 years old. But Eric adjusted. An in-game adjustment 15 minutes in, started giving himself more cover with Kevin Molino, calling him back defensively at times when he needed, but then also, too, started giving himself a little bit more of a buffer space. So he didn't get into these foot races as often with Antuna. And when he did, I thought he was better there. The back line collectively, um, I think they started out really well as a unit for a unit that hasn't really worked together as a four back, uh, as a back four together. Uh, Roman Metzner, again, his usual self, getting up and down the line, thought he was fantastic. Alexi, I want to hear your thoughts on him as a former defender. I know you were more in the center of the park, but <laughs> Metzner, uh, you got to love having a guy like that, that you know he'll he'll get forward to spring passes wide to start an attack, but then also, too, he's got the motor and the engine to get back and recover defensively. Um, I thought that back four really has given Adrian Heath a lot of thought because you will have Captain Francisco Calvo back for selection. Will he be Captain Francisco Calvo? That's, that's, a, that's a whole other layer to it. First and foremost, doesn't even get back on the field. Right. Mm. Because if you're if you're Adrian Heath and you say, boys, you've got this opportunity against Zlatan and the LA Galaxy, 17 goals on the season coming into it, you've got a big task against them. You hold them to a shutout. How do you look any four of those and say you don't deserve to start the following week? And so if Calvo's not on the field then... Who remains captain to your point, Kendra, but I, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll take it to you from here, Alexi. You're, you're a, you know, a legend at, at a center back position in the U S and, and defensively you have an elite mind for the game. What do you, what have you seen from the back four of Minnesota United in particular this, uh, you know, this past week against the LA galaxy? Yeah. So when it goes well, it's a back four, uh, when it doesn't go well, it's defending an 11, you know, everybody's <laughs> defending. And when right. we talk about defense, not just yeah, defenders and all that kind of thing, that's yeah. usually, how, usually how it goes. I thought the game Wednesday, uh, from a defensive standpoint, as you mentioned, w was great. And it wasn't a throwaway game. You're playing, you're playing the LA Galaxy uh, at the top of the Supporters' Shield with, uh, with LAFC. Uh, you're playing, once again, uh, in, the, in, the, in, you know, in the new stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of that was great. I was much more disappointed in their inability to finish. And if you're the coach... Look, best laid plans. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just walk in and you go, okay, how, how could I have done better? Because it's not as if they didn't create chances. As a matter of fact, they created chances. When Dunlady can't, when he yeah. dribbles, can't, it, when he, when he dribbles it into the goalkeeper, yes. everybody at home is going, well, okay, that's not coaching. Right. That's not the field. Mm -mm. That's, you got to be in that moment, especially for a goal score, mm -hmm. because you're waiting for that one moment and you can be crap the rest of the game. Everyone knows <laughs> but you got to be on one of those moments and to create the amount of chances that they did. I think they're going to look back at this as a real lost opportunity mm -hmm. to get points um, and, and important points. You never know what those, when those points are going to matter going, uh, going on. So, look, I, was, uh, I thought that this was a game that Minnesota should have won, should have got the three points, did everything that they needed off, uh, offensively. And as you mentioned, from a defensive standpoint, they were solid. Yeah, you're, gonna, like you're playing the Galaxy, so you, stuff is going to happen at a certain point. But they, they bent at times, but they didn't break. Well, what about uh, then off the back of that, Zlatan's quotes then after the game? saying that he's the one that they, they felt as though it was two points lost for them. You're a neutral. I wholeheartedly disagree. I was puzzled when he said that. I'm saying, That's can we watch the That's same game? That's what he game? does. That's what I love the showmanship. Done. There's no bigger fan. But unbiasedly, who, who walked away more disappointed of, of with the tie there? Minnesota. Absolutely. Zlatan didn't do anything individually, okay? Uh, and his team, if not for Dos Santos, yes. who I thought had a really, really good game. Defensively, was He was everywhere, yes. and he was cleaning up for yes. people yes. Uh, and cleaning up for a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. that they, well, more mistakes that they could have punished, but they didn't. That's one, another reason why you say, oh, gosh, you had, you had this, it had this in, in your hand. When it comes to Zlatan, look, and, I, and I've said this before, I love him. I love big, beautiful ego. I love a yep. larger-than-life personality. <laughs> it gives us all content. He is a constant con, uh, content creator, which is wonderful, the things that he says, but I'm just waiting for somebody. And I, and I hope that it was somebody on the field uh, to actually go up to him and say, just shut up. <laughs> just stop whining and complaining about everything. And there's almost moments where the galaxy get opportunities, mm -hmm. and if it doesn't go through him, then it doesn't even exist in his world. Right. Uh, true. And if it, if it actually goes off well, there's still this kind of feeling yeah. where 
if it's not him, yep. then it doesn't really matter. And it's not really, really important. Now, that's part of what makes him great. But I think the Galaxy uh, has a real problem if they, continue to if they continue to defer to him on a consistent basis. Because if he gets hurt, they got one way to play, and it's all through, Zl uh, through Zlatan. And the thing with the, with the, with the, with the sod was ridiculous. Nothing's ever right for Zatan. Stop complaining. <laughs> You're not playing on turf. You're actually playing on grass. And by the way, it's grass for a brand new stadium. It's going to take a year for the grass to figure to figure out how to actually play, to settle and go through seasons and all that kind of stuff. So just shut up about the grass. <laughs> it was not the grass. It wasn't anybody's fault. The reason you didn't have a game is because of yourself and your team. That you didn't have a good game. That's just the way that it is. It's okay. It is okay. Even happens mind. to Zlatan. Right, exactly. It's okay for Zlatan to have an off night sure. because there were so many goals coming into that game as well. Mm -hmm. And somehow, Kendra, Minnesota United were able to thwart him over the 90 minutes. Well, and I think it was fun to watch, you know, our team and, and Minnesota United get into his head. I mean, Ike Opara, there was a moment early in the match where they won up for a header and and, and Zlatan was so busy complaining about Ike Opara undercutting him. I mean, he turned around and was facing Ike Opara you know, not even facing the play for a good, like, two or three minutes, just complaining to him, kind of giving him the finger wag. Like, I can jump like over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, he's, like, scolding him, like, you know, he's a small child, like, he's his dad, and I, could, I just went on about his business and wasn't, you know, tested, and I thought Ike and uh, Brent Coleman did a fantastic job, and, of course, Ozzy Alonzo and Rasmus did play their part in front of him, and and kind of stayed home and, and clogged that space. So, um, you know, I think all in on def defensively, they've got to be happy with the clean sheet and the shutout. And even in the post game, we are like, oh, my God, this is our, only our second clean sheet of the year. But it felt like it was lost on the fact that Minnesota didn't capitalize on their offensive chances. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that we got a clean sheet and that Minnesota United held Zlatan scoreless because it was so, like, disappointing that they, they didn't get the three points because it did feel like it was two points lost for them. Okay. Let's refocus elsewhere. Let's stay in California, though, shall we? And, Jay, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. One that has undoubtedly been a collective conundrum so far in Major League Soccer has been the performances of San Jose Earthquakes. And the new stewardship, of course, in the ship of Matias Almeida, it hasn't gone well for them until this last seven days. Why? Well, I mean, I think when we first saw San Jose Earthquakes at the beginning of the season with Minnesota United, um, second game of the year, you saw a team that looked as though it was a bunch of people that had never met, maybe like a tryout back in the day for an MLS side that they said, here, why don't you guys put this jer these jerseys on that have the San Jose earthquake? I know there's a lot of history from all the way back in the, the clash days. Um, so much to this shirt, but why don't you guys, you all don't know each other, put them on and go play soccer together. Oh yeah, in this formation where you have to follow this guy, you follow this guy, and you follow this guy. And I think the group looked as though they hadn't bought into it and thought, yeah, we may have been through a preseason already, but we don't we don't know what this is yet. And have they figured it out? No, because they go 2-0 up against Seattle, and they still find a way to give that game back. And if that game goes another five minutes longer, Seattle probably gets a third, right. and they walk away empty-handed uh, when they're up 2-0 on the road um, in the you know final 30 minutes of the game. But Shea Salinas, Tommy Thompson, Nick Lima, they're churning through outside backs trying to find who's the guy that can fit in this position and who can play that role that can get up and back, down and back and forth. But if Shea Salinas is going to be your main threat going forward, now, Grant, I grew up with Shea. I know Shea's got an engine to him. He can play that position getting up and down, but Shea Salinas should not be your forward that you rely on to score goals week in and week out. I think he's had three goals in the last two games, and I'm not sure when the last time he had three collective goals was in, in his MLS career. Um, no knock to him. He's just been an outside <laughs> back, a guy that more creates and serves balls in and works hard. Um, Chris Wondolowski, I think the just the enormous amount of, of pressure and weight on the shoulders of when are you going to break this record, it looks like it's starting to affect him a bit. Danny Houston has come in. He's actually been somewhat effective. Uh, Jackson Ewell, he's done really well with his opportunity. Bangs went off the top corner again um, against Seattle this week. I think the group maybe is buying into what Almeida is trying to do a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe understanding a little bit more. Like with Vancouver, they're starting to come along with what Mark Dos Santos is trying to do. New, new coach, new system, a system that a lot of players had never seen before was going to take some time. I actually think this is a quicker turnaround in the last seven days than I probably saw it coming myself personally. I think it was going to take a little bit longer. And by no means do I think that they've got it all figured out. 
but I think they have a, a semblance of what they're trying to do. And they're getting results, getting wins at home, getting a result on the road in Seattle, even if they did throw away three points or lost two points essentially and only walked away with one. But do they have it figured out? I don't think so yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not buying stock yet, but I'm also not selling stock as much as I would have been two weeks ago. Yeah. I'll throw this out to the room as well. And you touched on it briefly, Jay, the tactics, the formation, and the way that Matias Almeida wants his side to play. Alexi, I, I would put it on the realms of borderline bizarre, I think. <laughs> but it, it seems to be working, at least over the last seven days or so. Yeah, ultimately, that's all that matters to coaches and, and certainly from the outside. It's, it's yet another team that should be paying me for motivation. Uh, <laughs> because a couple of weeks ago, when things were not going well, as you, as you mentioned, you know, I went on national television. Because that was when Almeida came out about the whole long-term plan and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Plans. Come on. Come on. Your yeah. plans. It's, we're, not, we're not having any of that. And there, there absolutely is, uh, I think, a sense of better, just better understanding. I will give you better understanding. Uh, at buying in, I'm still not convinced because, you know, you mentioned it is a kind of a chaos type of theory that you do have to buy into because you're, you're, you're oftentimes marking man-to-man, uh, like strict man-to-man all over the field and doing all that kind of stuff. But you know, he's also learning about the league, and he's also maybe coming to the realization that what I want to do may, may be one thing. What I can do is something else. And this happens Salary to a, that's a, well, whatever, <laughs> or talent yeah. or, or being, a, yeah, being yeah. when you're at a super club mm-hmm. relative to all the, all the others, it, it's a whole lot easier mm-hmm. to be able to do that. But I'm glad that I'm glad that they are at least competitive right now. But I don't know if this is if this is ultimately sustainable. I, I don't think that they have turned that proverbial corner where, oh, I get it. And there's this ah moment from everybody out there. But what in the heck went wrong with San Jose the past two years? I mean, the coaching carousel that has gone through there is more like the shocker to me since Jesse Furinelli has come into the picture. I think that's what leaves everybody's kind of scratching their heads. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matias Almeida may figure it out for a little bit. It was Mika Stare last year. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It just seems like San Jose is kind of a gone to hell in a handbasket. And it's and hard, it's to, hard it to be consistent when things aren't going well. Right. You have to you have to stand pat. I mean, for, for you guys here, you know, there's been ups and downs and stuff like that. People like the coach, people don't like the coach, but there's been a consistency as to the leadership, uh, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. And there there is a benefit to that until there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see when that, when that moment comes, if they're going to change again. But if this is truly the savior that they believe that Almeida is and that they truly believe in what's happening, then I, I don't see him going anywhere because this right. isn't something where you cut bait after, uh, after a couple of weeks. We had spoken about, haven't we, before, Kendra, the fact that Fionarelli has run things there for a little while, and I just can't help when I think of the quakes and think of the elements of instability that has been there not only for the last couple of weeks but for the last few years, really. Yeah, well, and I, it's funny because when we talk about um, – and when I've talked to Tommy Thompson a few times and he just got his 100th appearance or whatever, and it, he's had literally had five different coaches, you know, since he's come out as a homegrown. It's just crazy, this coaching carousel that's gone through there. And I think the consistency factors, people may underestimate it, whether it's good or bad. If you have consistency, it can make a, a world of difference. I think that they've definitely been missing that. Okay, Alexi, let me throw this to you whilst we're on the subject of new coaches. Frank DeBoer at Atlanta United. I've heard of him, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Atlanta United this weekend host Colorado Rapids. There's been a suggestion that they have to win this game. It'll be their first home victory if they do throughout the regular MLS season. Where do you stand on the whole situation at Atlanta United at the moment? Well, they have to win it, not because it's their, their, it's a home game. It's because a home game and they're playing Colorado. Okay, <laughs> yeah, let's be yes, honest. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's that's just a reflection once again, and we can go a whole other way when it comes to Colorado, but we won't because Atlanta over the last couple of years has built and built themselves as this MLS Super Club. It's wonderful. I love it. But with that comes very high expectations. Um, and for the most part, they have, they have lived up to it. You come into this new year, coming off MLS Cup, make a huge change in terms of Tata not being there and maybe more so than you even thought. You do kind of a head-scratcher with the Frank de Boer. In, and it was weird because I, I always, it always seemed to me that Baros Kiloto and, uh, and, and Frank de Boer, like, went to the Atlanta airport and missed their connections. He was supposed <laughs> to stay in Atlanta, and DeBoer was supposed to go to uh, the That's Galaxy. Good, by the but, way. That's a good one. But it's because it, it, it's just it didn't make much sense when you have that pipeline coming coming from uh, South America and all that. But 
neither here nor there. He was given a wonderful jewel. And I think there's real questions as to, again, whether he understands the situation he got himself into and not just the incredible value that he has and, and talent that he has at his disposal, but also maybe the limitations uh, mm. of it and the need to churn every single year, which we know is difficult. We, when we look at Toronto, what happened with Toronto? So this league is brutal. It will chew you up and it will spit you out regardless of how many games you've won, where you've played, how big a name you are, how much money you've made. Uh, and it's done it to people in the past and it will continue to do something. It's one of the things I love it. I love about it, but it also makes it the most unpredictable uh, league in the world. It's fabulous. This is why we love it, because the parity, despite the debates that we will have about it, the parity is still ripe. Um, let me ask you also, Alexi, is, is there any similarities from this appointment to Rude Hullet back in the day of the Galaxy? <laughs> <laughs> let me see if I can remember that without, without twitching. Uh, You're sweating. It's, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a high-profile, sexy name uh, that mm. comes in. Um, I, look, I think that I think that Frank is much more equipped than Rude was at the time. And I do think that Frank was much more uh, committed and I think understood who, who understands now who he is and what he wants to do. Doesn't mean that he's going to be successful. And ultimately, right. whether it's Rude or anybody else, the, the results on the field. I mean, you could be a horrible coach. As long as you're getting the results, you're going to mm -hmm. keep your job and continue on. That's just the way, uh, the way that it is right now. Uh, that was a, a crazy time, too. I mean, the confusion at, at, the, at the Galaxy and just the, uh, the nutty hurricane that was uh, so much, uh, including the, you know, the David Beckham situation and all that. You know, it's, it, it's little apples to, to oranges. But I do think that, that a guy like... Uh, like DeBoer coming in, uh, thought it was one thing, got on the ground, and has found it something very, very different. And that's good. It's, I, I like it when I see people going through this change and this this realization that, uh-oh, I'm not in, well, it wouldn't be Kansas, but it would be, you know, at Amsterdam or whatever. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is a thing as well, though, as well, Jay. It, it, it does, once again give a humongous compliment to Major League Soccer that some of these, I mean, you could argue, in inverted commas, top European coaches coming to this league. And I'm not placing words in people's mouths, but you do get the sense a lot of big European names, whether they're players or coaches, come in and think, I'll go and play there, I'll go and coach there, and I'll be okay. It's not as easy anymore. Well, is this an overestimation of himself as a coach to think that I know who I am as a coach, and that doesn't need to change? Look at this group that I have. Everyone says this is one of the best teams ever assembled in MLS. So I'll just do what I want with this best group and it'll work and there'll be no problems because no team will be better than me. No coach, no, no team will be better than us. No coach will be better than me. They won't be able to tactically counteract what we want to do. If I put a 3-5-2 out there, they won't be smart enough to expose the wide spaces. They won't see an aging and slower back line apart from Miles Robinson, and they won't figure out how to attack this. We won't make mistakes. We will score goals in bunches. Joseph Martinez will score three goals a game, and everything will be great all the time. Then when you have a game plan, everyone has a game plan to you get punched in the mouth. Well, there's the punch in the mouth. It's been the first half, first quarter of the season for Atlanta United for their supporters, for MLS, for everybody that thought they knew what they knew about MLS in Atlanta. What is the change now? What is the adaptation? Because you're not going to really be able to change your squad with, what, less than 10 days to go in the transfer window before the first window closes. Maybe you can do it in the summertime, right? Okay, so now it's really on the group that you have, and I don't think you need to change. Mm. Mind you, this group, this roster didn't overhaul much apart from losing uh, Miguel Almiron, but then you pick up Pitti Martinez, who admittedly has taken more time to adjust than probably any of us thought. Mm. He's a different player. Too. And he's, he's a different, different player, player. right? But again, do, do you not think they need to change something? I think they do. But I think what needs to change is Frank DeBoer realizing that this league is probably better than he thought it was. The other teams and other coaches are smart enough to figure out where their weaknesses are, and then he needs to adjust to it. And I think right now, maybe he's a little too steadfast in what he believes in and what he thinks. But, and I would just say, going back to the San Jose conversation, San Jose is a very different team than Atlanta. Oh, yes. If Atlanta is truly this super club, mm -hmm. then bye-bye. That's it. Because mm -hmm. that's what super clubs do. They don't give you time. They don't, they don't wait around for you to figure out. Either you do it or you are gone. But that's what's interesting going back to some of the comments when they hired Frank DeBoer. I mean, it was like he was the second coming. You know, I mean, I, I, there wasn't any hesitation about what he was going to bring to the table and the style that he was going to be able to 
um, to do to put on with the club that he had and the roster that he had. And I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting kind of seeing them falter a little bit, especially since Minnesota. It's great, isn't it? Well, you know, it's always fun when, <laughs> of course, when the, big, of the bigger course. they are, the harder That's they fall. That's what makes it a super club. As many people hate them as love them. It's well, awesome. And not, and not only that, but just being Minnesota United. Yeah. I mean, we've been put up against Atlanta United since the second we announced that we were coming into the league at the same time. So even though it was never apples to apples, because of the way the teams were put together and when Atlanta United oh, found stop out. This. Oh, my. <laughs> Look at you. Are you reading off of something right now? Stop. <laughs> but I will say this. Was but it, it just uh, felt like it's, you know, I have no problem showing the Eastern Conference standings right now in every oh, broadcast yeah. that we do Every broadcast, like, oh, look at Alonso yeah, in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Was, was the expectation the feeders. for DeBoer to be successful based on who he was as a player and what he achieved as a player or what he achieved as a coach so far? Because if you went solely off of the coaching record, right. What made everybody think he was the second coming? Right. Oh, I, I think he's spell at Ajax, Jay. That was yeah. that was special, that was. That was, and it was, to be fair, but was that... And just when you're a European coach coming over, there's this pedigree. I just think there's like a, there's a, you know, I don't know, an air about it that people like just think they're going to come over here and walk on water and, and be able to lead but a team to success. Right what was his next stop after Ajax then? A winless spell at... Um, at Inter Milan. At Inter Milan, yes, mm -hmm. thank you. So then you start going, well, wait a minute, okay. That's another super club. Granted, may, they may not be at the at the peak of what Inter Milan they were, yes. was and, and historically have been, but that's still one of the clubs in, in Europe that are in, in Italy that they should compete at a European level. They should be competing in Italy each and every year to win a Scudetto, even though Juve, right, class of their own, but they should be there or thereabouts each year, and he couldn't do it there. Well, to be fair to De Boer, though, they haven't for a long time under a load of other managers as well. Sure. I, I just think that I think his success as a player gave everybody these rose-colored glasses to look through it and say, this is why it's going to work here without a doubt. And I don't know if he had yet proven it completely as a manager yet before we gave him this golden crown and this free pass that you can do no wrong and this will be an instant success. And I think that's maybe why everyone is like, oh, wait a minute. Did we just get confused with what he achieved as a player and assumed it would immediately transition to a coach here in MLS? Well, you know what the remedy is for any player or, player or coach that is under pressure, and in particular a coach is just getting criticized and under all sorts of pressure? The Colorado Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> Until they don't. Then we're, when yeah. there was the discussion Monday morning, Alexi, then what are we saying? What are we saying if they don't win this week? I don't week? know. Then I've got Tim Howard what's calling me and screaming. What's the State of the Union oh, podcast oh, going to say? Yeah, but Tim Howard, is he really a Colorado Rapid? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest right now. Well, part time. Wow. Part time. Every, every other Friday when those He's got a lot going on. Oh, Champions League's coming up. Yeah, I was just going to say, you were there last week when everyone um, was giving Stu shtick about I being know. on Champions I League know. earlier and whatnot. Okay. All right. Let's move on quickly, shall we, before we go down that road. Um, talking of inadverted commas, super clubs. One that may very well identify that at the moment, Kendra, is LAFC. Flying high at the top of the Western Conference, are they the real deal? I think so. I mean, I think um, what's crazy is they've had some acquisitions that have not done well, that have really totally flopped in Horta and, yeah. and Diamande mm -hmm. with the injuries. But, I mean, I love Diego Rossi. I think Carlos Velo gets a lot of the attention, and rightfully so. I mean, I've always said the definition of a great player is when you know exactly what they're going to do and they still do it. And he does it, and he cuts it, and he gets it on that left foot, and he can still curl it into the back post every single time. You know exactly what he's going to do, and he still does it. Um, but we, we saw Atuesta in that last match really kind of come to life and what awesome. he can do and what he's capable of. Um, Mark Anthony Mark K. Anthony K. Yeah. in the middle, what he can do. And so I just think that um, I think Bob Bradley, and especially in his second year with this club, uh, maybe a couple flops in there, but he's got everybody going on the right track. And if they can stay relatively healthy, um, I think the fact that, you know, some of the road wins that they've gotten um, have really kind of, shined a light on them, rightfully so. And and Bob Bradley, he's got this method of madness behind what he does. And I said this to you guys last week. I was sitting at the gate when they got off the plane from Vancouver, and I was flying to Toronto, and he did not look like a happy man. He was on a mission to get to that escalator and get out of there, and he wasn't talking to anybody. He had that stern look on his face. So then they got right back on track that's, with the next game. That's redundant. <laughs> that's even when he is happy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have you Yo, ever yeah. seen him smile? I don't know. I also think I love you, Bob. I know you're listening. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I think it also, too, is, is still a bit early to say – Horta is a flop at 19, 20 years old. 
I still think it's hard to say that about a player. I don't know, though. I mean, I think people thought now he was going to have a full year. He had a full preseason, whereas last year he came in the middle. Like, this was his time to shine at the beginning of the season. And the fact that it's taken – people gave last year the second half kind of a pass once he had come on because adjusting to this league, I just feel like now – He's had a little, you know, quite a bit of time to adjust to this league. Not a flop, like, for the rest of his career, just maybe not what L.A. FC was expecting of him right away. A flop for the price tag. Yeah. Yes. That's That that mm-hmm. was an overestimation on potential. Mm-hmm. But I also think, too, that he is a kind of guy that if he can come along as well, then it's then they're looking at not rebuilding ever if they sell a player on just reloading. Putting in Horta in a year or two time. If if you look at this kid, I mean, he he's and I say he's a kid because he's nineteen or twenty years old, but he'll have been a professional three, four, five years within Benfica, within LAFC, under some great tutelage there. And then at 21, 22, if they do lose Carlos Vela at some point, if he does make a jump back over to Europe, if Rossi makes another move, if they decide he can't go on, then you're just reloading with players. And I think that's what makes LAFC different is they are so deep everywhere that there are good players getting left off week in and week out. And I personally think if Diamande is not injured, I still think he's first choice over Christian Ramirez up top. And I love Christian, great friend of mine, a guy I'll love forever and and root for at all times. But I still think Bob Bradley prefers Diamande. And you saw Diamande at the end of last year really show what he can do when he was a goal or two good for each game. I mean, his strike rate was impressive when he came over. Battled injuries, and that's going to be a question mark for him. But that's what makes LAFC so good is that they are exciting going forward. They have defenders that, uh, again, just get forward in numbers. They create overloads all over the field. They're getting wins, getting big performances, and they are so deep. Yeah. Lee Wynn doesn't even see the field there anymore. No, he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So, so let me ask you this. With, with all of that in mind, what does an LAFC without Carlos Vela look like? Are they as potent? Are they as good, Alexi, without the Mexican forward? No, and I think if Bob was here, he'd tell you the same thing in, in his way. He's the next uh, Messi, yeah. whatever no. he called him. No, but he would, <laughs> you know, he would recognize, look, every, play, every team in the world, even the best teams in, in the world with the greatest depth, they still have their stars mm. that you go to for those magic moments. And that's what Carlos Vela is. You take him off, you are certainly not as strong. But I think everybody here has talked about the fact that whether it's a, a, a K, uh, whether it's Latif Blessing, Blessing. who is, yes. yeah. oh my God, the, the, the guy can play five different <laughs> positions, <laughs> does them steel. all well. Yeah. And Bob Bradley has got, even last year, I know they traded him, but you know, bringing Benny Failhaber in yes. and having him uh, yes. uh, be accountable and, and, and do stuff on the field. And, and you mentioned Lee Wynn and all these different things. Bob has... I mean, first off, this was this was kind of the perfect environment for Bob to come into because oh. he could he didn't have to subject himself to any of the past history. He could lay it down. This is, and I think he's wanted to do this for a while. This is how I want to do this. Unlike Chivas USA, mm-hmm. I have the money, uh, and we get to new, the new stadium and all that. And this is how I'm going to, from a f- philosophical standpoint, structure this team. And I'm gonna go about getting the players in that do that. Now, Horta is an interesting one because. They're not all going to be, you know, hit them out of, out of the park. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, Bob and, uh, you know, everybody that's in that organization will have made the determination that this was the right player to do. But you're, you're extrapolating it out. He's doing this over there. We're going to bring him into this environment. And obviously, he's not doing the things that Bob Bradley wants him to do. Certainly. Otherwise, no, he would be no playing argument. on the no field. Argument. Yeah. But they thought he was going to do the things that Bob Bradley uh, wanted to do. But they're still able to not just compete, but still be the best team in the league. And that's a credit to the organization over there and uh, John, John Thorington and what he's doing over there. Uh, and that whole organization, they, they understand what they are. They understand what they aren't. And Bob Bradley has made it very clear whether you like it or not, whether you like him or not, whether you think it's uh, you know, true or not. This is who we are going to be, and we're not going to apologize for it. And obviously, it's paying dividends right now, but we also know this is a very long season. And well, when you, you hit, sorry, Kendra, I was, real quick, when you hit so much on so many other players, like Latif Blessing as a, uh, an expansion pick, sure. Diego Rossi for a relatively small price, Diamande at a small price as well, you're buying so much good faith. $10 million, good faith, 8 to $10 million for Horta. That's, that's a lot of good faith to build up to uh, if it does end up crashing and burning completely to the ground and they just say, let's cut our losses at some point. But I think because you overachieve on what you paid for so many players, like Bob and John Thorington have done. You have done, a luxury now of you, being able to sit a guy that you paid a lot of money exactly. for. Exactly. And, and I think that's where they have had their successes. There's a lot more hits than there are misses. 
Well, and you said, I, maybe it was you in the D.C. Um, LAFC game that you guys did. You know, do you really, I mean, do you need, a, who needs a forward when you've got Rossi and Vela? Like, I mean, I, I love, you know, Diamande and Christian Ramirez and whoever, but they are the beneficiary yep. of what is created alongside of them and being able to benefit They're the from. anti-Zlatan. Exactly. You know? yeah. it's, not, it's not everything, <laughs> yeah. not everything's yeah. going through them. As yeah. a matter of fact, they're just there. It's like, right. I'm just going to sit in right. the six-yard box and when that ball comes, <laughs> I'm going to put the ball in the back of the net. Everyone in this room scores 10 goals yeah. Yeah. center yeah. forward yeah. for LAFC. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I'll take that. Ten goals and we'll yeah, score ten goals yeah, in my you life. Might be, you might be, yeah. yeah, you might struggle eight, eight or nine, but we don't yeah. be ten goals. I'll take nine. At least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to the negative side of Major League Soccer, shall we? I know we have to do this, uh, and I really want to talk about it as well because it was a moment of supreme stupidity. I'm talking of Kaku mm. launching the ball at a fan in Kansas City. Uh, in my opinion, fans when they enter whatever the sport is, they enter the stadium, the arena, they should always feel safe. Having that done to the fan, I thought was absolutely preposterous. And for him to only get a further two games, Kindra, on the additional one game he was suspended for, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. We were waiting for the news for a long time. I personally thought it was going to be eight, nine games and wouldn't have had a problem with that. Well, and I think people kind of felt that this was going to, he needed to be made an example of. Um, I think ownership, there was a lot of different owners around the league that were immediately getting hold of Don Garber, whether he likes it or not. They all have him on speed dial, whether it's a, a VAR missed call or whatever it might be. But I think there were a lot of owners and people in front offices that went right to the league and said, you got to make an example of this guy. And this wasn't like you're trying to punish the Red Bulls because Kaku's been so good for them this year and double-digit goals. I mean, he's hardly done a thing. So I, I really felt like they were going to make an example of it. I thought the two games was soft. I thought it was weak, and I don't know – um, you know, what kind of precedence that sets when when that happens and, and Don Garber and the league don't lay down a little bit heftier of a, of a penalty. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was careless. It was reckless. It was dangerous. It was stupid. All of those different things. I mean, today, what, uh, uh, Neymar got three yes. games mm. for an for Instagram post. It's the same thing. A, a couple of things. I would be interested if he hadn't, apologize because this in, in this day and age we, we want you want you got to apologize you yeah. got to say sorry about everything you got to and yes we, I have kids and I tell them the importance of saying sorry but saying sorry doesn't mean that you didn't do what you did right. uh, it, it it placates some out there uh, that's number one and I do I, I, I can understand because we, we've been in that position on the field where you know you see red and, and you and you oh, you're so angry and, and all that kind of stuff but you're still responsible for the things that you do. Now, do you think that um, a player who, while he has certainly not performed at the highest level, there is a value to him on the transfer market right <laughs> now? Evan. Do you think if there wasn't a value on the transfer market for this player that possibly could get sold this summer, that uh, the same type of uh, of suspension would have put on it? I, look, I'm putting my tinfoil on my hat right now, so I know you're listening going, no, that couldn't possibly happen or anything like that. But I'm just throwing it out there because that's, that's what I do to talk about. But look, this was this was dumb. I hope he understands how dumb it was, and I, I got a feeling that, that he does because you don't want to go to a game and have and thank God somebody wasn't really right. severely yeah. hurt in that in, in that moment because it could it could have been I mean it was point blank that thing's yes. going 100 miles an yeah. hour and uh, you know thankfully uh, uh, the injuries weren't much more. Well, as Luis Robles said, it was there. I mean, you know, you're sitting in the front row. It's kind of the fans' responsibility. <laughs> Yeah. That might he have been the throws dumbest goal ever. He throws that on the end of his apology. He's like, he's like, he's like some of the smartest guys ever. Smart I know. Like, when he he's said that, too many hits to the head. The, the PR staff for New York had to be just. Oh, that was, yeah, it, was, was still <laughs> cringing at the first instance, <laughs> and they had to sit there and be just going. Everyone on this team stopped talking. Yeah. And you saw actually, Alexi, you you've been involved in soccer for a long time. We all have. Yeah. Has there ever been an incident where? Every player from the team yeah, they knew. goes and apologizes <laughs> they, instantly. The moment that game ended, they all walked over to go say sorry in an opposing yeah. arena. It's not even Coach, like it was their everybody. Yes. everybody. So instantly, there's that sign. It's almost like when you're on the field and you see eight simultaneous hands go up in the air for a handball in the box. Probably something happened, right? Eight guys, nine, 10, 11 guys, the coach, everybody comes over and apologizes. You, they, you know instantly that's a sign that something that even everyone unanimous, unanimously perceives to be bad happened, and for it to come off the same as a cuss word on Instagram towards officials, that's the same punishment? I thought it was going to be six. What did you think come it was going to be? If I thought it, it was going to be six or seven. Yeah. If you said, we'll play the game, 
If they said four, would that have been enough for you? I wanted. I, I, I thought it was going to be six. Exactly. Like five, six is I could have been a, a six, statement. Statement. six. Six, you're like, yes. The one he already had. Exactly. Yeah. Eight, nine, then you start going, oh boy, that's now you're in the realm of Ricardo Clark drop kicking Carlos Ruiz's face. <laughs> yeah, people back do in the dumb day. stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it wasn't that, yeah. but it wasn't but that a cuss was, this, it's also directed towards too. a referee after an emotional yeah. loss mm. on social media. Well, when it's to a fan, I think yeah. there's a different level, too, of kind of protecting the people that are supporting your league. So. Well, and also scare the you-know-what out of any player ever doing anything dumb to a fan, even in the heatest, hottest of moments. Right. You know, if it's if you know that it could cost you potentially a fourth of a season and a few thousand bucks. And not for nothing, but like we needed reminding, his aim sucks. He was okay. trying to hit the sideboard. He was, he was trying to hit the sideboard. I mean, it's just, a, it actually, it's just a whole nother knock on him in terms of that's his ability. That's the Red Bulls right now. I mean, that's a whole nother <laughs> argument for another day. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Final segment. Let's talk about Minnesota United against DC United, shall we? Kendra, I'll start with you. Uh, DC United seem to have issues at home, but mm -hmm. on the road, far from it. I know, and that's funny that uh, last year they just couldn't, they couldn't, you know, buy a win on the road and they just crush it at, uh, at their new arena at Audi, Audi Field and Wayne Rooney coming on board. So, I don't know. I'm still kind of waiting for this Lucci Acosta, Wayne Rooney thing to kind of spark up once again. It was really fun to watch last season. Um, I think Wayne Rooney was able to will his team to win that competitive spirit, that competitive nature once again, but more of a, a teammate aspect of it as opposed to the competitive aspect that Zlatan brings where it's very individual ego oriented. I think Wayne, I, I've heard he's maybe not like the – the greatest human being out there. I don't know him personally, but at least um, kind of a, a good teammate and willing his team to win. So I'm excited to see it. But yeah, for some reason, and sometimes I think there's something about that though. There's the pressure of the second season, the full first full season at Audi Field, and the success they had last year, and Wayne Rooney coming on board, and Acosta having a great season. There's a pressure there in that home turf. And you saw him get crushed against LAFC at home. I mean, on national television, Wayne Rooney gets the red card. So now you go on the road, sometimes you get away from all the chatter, you get away from all the talk, you get away from all the pressure. I think it happens in every sport at times. And for some reason, they've gone away from home and found a way to get victories this year. It, I mean, it wasn't a great one against Columbus Crew, but nonetheless, they got the three points. Um, and now they've traveled straight here to Minnesota to play Minnesota United on Sunday. So um, we hope to hear Wonderwall on uh, Sunday and let mm. the fans and supporters here in Minnesota sing it and to get it on uh, national television on FS1. Oh. But uh, but we'll see what you know if Minnesota can bury their opportunities and and keep uh, Wayne Rooney and Acosta quiet. So let me ask you, Alexi, this whole thing that happened with Luciano Acosta, uh, the move that never was. Crazy, huh? Um, <laughs> Get back on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> how much, from a professional footballer's point of view, how much is that now wearing on his mind? Uh, I don't know if it's where. Well, I mean, look, it's it's on his mind that the the proverbial head has been turned, probably mm. up 360 degrees. So he's back, he's back where he started, and he's like, "Wait, this wasn't supposed to happen." And it was it was surreal the whole thing. First off, it was just surreal that PSG. Like, I don't even that that didn't come into the equation. But okay, like, I guess. <laughs> I guess. So and that's great. It's great for his value. Uh, I'm sure it pumped him up. But then it was just kind of taken away from him because that that's a move that changes your life. Yeah. Um, and and you would not begrudge that you know to any to any player having that opportunity. Uh, having said that, um, I think he's gone about his business. As you mentioned, this is a this is a good team. This is not a great team. Mm -hmm. There is an opportunity for Minnesota this weekend to get three points against uh, DC United. They're going to grind it out, and they're doing it in a very different way. In that they had that spark mid 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 season uh, last season. And everything they touched just turned to gold. It was great. It's different when you got to go through a full uh, a full season. And so they're 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 a team that's just going to compete. They're always going to be there. Wayne's going to show up with some different moments, as is uh, you know Ariola and, and and just they they have some quality out there. They got a great goalkeeper. Mm. When that can be and that can be a difference. But I think that there is three points for the taking here. And certainly if you're creating the opportunities that you created against uh, the LA Galaxy and, and finishing them, obvi <laughs> obviously. Uh, I think that I think they have to be positive going into this, and and it's almost as if from a from a DC perspective, they got the they got the road win. They already got mm -hmm. the three yeah. points on, on the road, and it's not sure. that they throw this one away. You want you want more, but the mentality of a player uh, is all right. You know, if you, if you get points on the road, that's a that's a great thing. And if you drop it against Minnesota, all right, whatever happens. But I think I think Acosta is a talented player, but I'm I'm sure that he sits in his bed at night and goes, what happens or <laughs> what can happen in the future. But it doesn't happen if he doesn't continue to play and play well.
That was going to be my next question, actually, Joe. Do you expect Acosta come summertime to be in a DC United uniform? Well, I don't think anybody expected us that he may not have been, you know, as the transfer window <laughs> closed. So then yeah. to say that you know what's coming next would just be throwing something at the dartboard and, and hoping, I think. Um, I, I think if you're him, he's he's handled it as professionally as you can. I don't think that he picked up where he left off. And you, as a DC United fan, have to be somewhat disappointed from that. Kendra, you've talked about you haven't you, you're waiting for that connection to happen. Uh, Alexi, you're saying, you know, they're not quite the most convincing team yet. And I agree with you on that. And I agree we haven't seen the best yet. But having said that, they're still sitting first in the right. East. Right. Isn't that so crazy? Is it, it does it say weird. that? Does it say right. that about the Eastern Conference? Yes. Because you look at who's sitting right behind them, another team that I don't think anybody is truly convinced of, Montreal Impact. Yeah. Sure. And now you're talking about DC United, who's finding ways to win, haven't lost on the road yet. So East is wide open, yeah. East is, East is absolutely wide open, as is the, the game on Sunday, because if Minnesota United can create chances like they did, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to come back from injuries, but they got a 21-year-old Donovan Pines, you know, playing in the back as well, young kid, but then you start to get Hara back from what looked, you know, the shoulder injury that he yep. had. So Chris Durkin coming in, he's put in some good performances, still a young player. Acosta's still not performing to that level. Rooney, you get spectacular one week, and then you get the the flashes of red that sees him sent off on national TV yeah. when you're down three, zero, four, zero, um, DC United. What, what do you make of them? I don't know, but that's, isn't that the beauty of MLS? Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And I think that's what's at stake this Sunday on national television, which DC are you going to get the one that, you know, goes to Columbus and puts a workmanlike performance in, gets a one zero result, comes out of there, gets three points at a place, Moffrey stadium where not many will. Or do you get Minnesota United who comes and scores goals in bunches and puts it away early and then DC folds and says, let's just go home with three points in our bag. Maybe we would have thought we got three points. DC's mindset, maybe they think they get the three against Minnesota and not against Columbus, but instead it goes vice versa. You never know. That mentality can be, let's just get back to Audi Field. You know, let's just get out of here in this trip, whatever. But I think for Minnesota United, if they can get a goal early, mm. I think that will take the wind out of the sails from DC United. And I think whoever scores first in this game, most likely goes on to win the game. All right, you guys, before I go, you guys educate me here because you, you, you've seen this Minnesota team play. Come summer, all right, one, do you think that they're going to bring in uh, reinforcements? And two, if they do, what is the most pressing issue now from a Minnesota standpoint? Number one, I'll say I mean, yes. You get to go first, because yes. you never get to talk. <laughs> yeah, you come. I don't want, I don't, I, by the way, I hate we this. I have this argue, argument with uh, with John Strong and different people. I, I think that you should definitely have an opinion, uh, and you should voice it on a continual basis. I, 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 I hate sometimes how they just, oh, no, I'm just this. He stuff. absolutely <laughs> knows his stuff. This of guy course he knows does. Football. They all know their stuff, and they've been conditioned traditionally. He's oh, just I'm so nice to, to hand over the time to Kendra and I. I'll, I'll, I'll also start with John in that particular argument. But anyway, <laughs> another debate for another day. Um, look, um, Yes, I think that um, they will add. Um, and I think they could... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there were if there were action from an attacking point of view. If a centre-forward was brought in, that yeah. wouldn't surprise me. It also wouldn't surprise me if they were looking at the back line as well. Uh, as we've said as well, they've, they've not perhaps been the most robust of, of defensive back lines in Major League Soccer history <laughs> over the, the course of the two and a half years. But yeah, I think there'll be activity, no doubt about it. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting. Now, I, I know the window is still open for, what is it, May 7th it closes, isn't it? So there's still so much time in, in this weird and wonderful soccer world that we <laughs> yeah, live in. Yeah. There's still so much time for everybody to make moves. And it's funny because we talk about the league now and we talk about teams, well, you know, they look like this, you know, maybe they need to do this, this and this. I think so many changes are going to happen to so many rosters before the May 7th deadline. It'll be really, really interesting. Um, before we go, then, just talking to changes, Kendra, let me just ask you... Um, like, see, he's got to just take back control again. Yeah. Look at this. I mean, get, what the heck? Get Kendra's thoughts on that one. Alexi's trying Kendra, to play yeah. host, and he just takes I'm right just, back control again. I'm just whining you guys for information. This is, <laughs> this is too good. Let me do my job. Kendra, Kendra, you you take it over. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm saying they definitely need to, make, need to make some additions on the back line. I mean, I think the depth there is lacking. I think, uh, for instance, if you could only get one player, you yeah, get a defender. I would get a, I would get an outside back. Um, I think uh, they're just lacking on depth. I don't think Francisco Calvo is the answer. I think you might need to want to strike while the iron is hot, and before maybe other teams don't figure, you know, figure out that 
what Minnesota United has possibly figured out with him. And um, I don't think Eric Miller is the answer back there. And Chase Gasper is a little too young. So I think there needs to be an addition on the back line. That would be my first choice. I'll say now more than ever, they have more trade pieces within this league that I think other teams might value. And I think for the first time in this era, they have more bargaining leverage at the table within the league to make changes. And I've said this now several times. If I was a coach, Minnesota United or elsewhere, I would be on the phone calling San Jose as asking Almeida, Almeida, how much Tam do you want to go buy whichever player you want? Cause you'll need it for a guy that has broken into the national team was a man of a match uh, earlier this year when he made his debut, Nick yeah. Lima can't start for San Jose, but evidently, but and, that's, so and, and I would go, you know what, if you don't like him, Matias, right. you know, I'll take him. I will gladly take him off your books. Here's some Tam to go find players that you want to bring in because you need this. Yep. You didn't have a lot of it when you inherited this squad. And there you go. You now have it to go get what you want. And I would like to take this, this young 26 year old emerging outside back. I believe he's 26. I think that's right from the homework we did. If you say it, it's true. You got the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Say it quickly, confidently. Everyone <laughs> believes you. Um, and, and I would welcome him with open arms to the squad. Now, I hope no other GM is listening and takes that idea. And if you do, I want 10% of the transfer fee. Oh, they all listen. They all, they all need good ideas. Uh, Alexi, thank you so much oh, for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's a, like, as you guys know, this is all a, a labor of love, and we scream and yell and do all that kind of stuff. But uh, for those of us that have been around for a while, it, it, as I said, it makes me very, very happy to be able to come to uh, yet another MLS market and see another beautiful new stadium and, uh, and, and celebrate what we all know is, uh, is a work in progress. But... But, you know, sometimes we kick ourselves for, for what we haven't done, but it's also good to pat ourselves on the back every once in a while and say, uh, well done, well done. And certainly over the last 20-plus years, what this sport has done and certainly what the league has done, and, and you know, now here in Minnesota, it's been wonderful. Alexi, thank you. And thanks, as always, to Jimmy Watson and Kindred East St. Orwin and our uh, expert button pusher in the corner, Morgan Lubin, as well. <laughs> well done, Morgan. The best, Morgan. There we go. <laughs> you can watch DC United against Minnesota United on Fox Sports 1, 12.30 p.m. You can also listen on the radio on Score North at 12 p.m., Sirius XM for those of you out of state as well. As always, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production.